Well, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. So you can open up your copy of God's Word to Romans 12, verse 6. And we're going to read the whole section, Romans 12, 1 through 8, just to get the big picture again. So Romans 12, 1 through 8. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Well, in preparation, oh, this ends this reading of God's holy inspired and errant word. We always want to end with that. Well, in preparation for our I study this morning, I had 14 points, and I thought, you know what, I don't think we're going to get through all of these, and I was working on that more yesterday, so we're going to go seven, we'll do seven more next week, so I spared you guys the afternoon. So we are looking at the topic, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? When I was in high school, I took one of those Christian personality tests, kind of like a Myers-Briggs sort of a thing, that's supposed to reveal who I truly am and how I can best serve the church. It was designed to reveal my own unique spiritual gift inventory, and so the thinking went, guide me to the types of service areas that best fit my unique gifts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I've seen those. Okay, several of you guys. In my teenage laziness and with helping out with chores, I remember thinking, man, I sure hope I score less on the serving part because I don't want to do much of that if you want to talk about. Well, that's one way that people tried to help me think about spiritual gifts. Well, another option was was presented to me when a, a girl from our Christian club at my high school invited a team from her church to come help us get filled with the Holy Spirit. They taught us how we all need a second filling of the Holy Spirit, that maybe if you are a Christian, you might not have had this. And so they prayed over each of us in tongues and told fantastic stories of power that could be ours. And another even told me that Baptists squelch the Holy Spirit because they don't do these things. Why? Because we don't teach our children how to speak in tongues and things like that. Well, it's no wonder that there's confusion about spiritual gifts. And so this morning, we're going to ask and answer seven questions to help you understand spiritual gifts and then to use them well. 
Seven questions to help you discern your spiritual gifts. These will help us avoid some of the confusion we see in the gifts today and help us rooted, stay rooted in God's word and what it has to tell us about spiritual gifts. Since we've got seven points, we're going to get going so you guys can make your soup for the afternoon. Number one, what are spiritual gifts for? First question, what are spiritual gifts for? In our world, we are taught that in order to be, to be personally satisfied or personally fulfilled, you have to find a job or a career that best suits your unique makeup. It's, why, it's the reason why there's a proliferation of majors in universities, and some people major in things like, they joke, underwater basket weaving, and not so much joke, queer ideology in sports. It perfectly molds to the very specific interests that individual students have, and so they have a ton of different majors. Translate that to the church, and we shouldn't be surprised that many people look for a church and specifically a way to serve in a church that perfectly fits their unique ideas of self. You're a car guy? Go start a car ministry. That sort of thing. But if we intuitively think about using our spiritual gifts as a path to self-fulfillment, then we're missing something. So as we try to answer our first question, what are spiritual gifts for, we're trying to get to the purpose of spiritual gifts. And the Bible is very clear here. Spiritual gifts aren't all about you. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ, that is your church. Let's look at verses 4 and 5, Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. Read those verses with me. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You see, the body of Christ is designed to function best when each member supports the whole body, just like your physical body. There's both diversity and unity emphasized in these verses, right? So verse 4, the emphasis is on diversity. We have many members. We don't all have the same function. And then verse 5 focuses on the unity. So we are still in one body, that is, the body of Christ. Differences exist in the body for the good of the whole. And so Paul says also in Ephesians 4, verse 12, that the purpose of the gifts are to build up or edify the body of Christ. And Ephesians 4, 16 says that we see that every supporting ligament and each individual part is to play a role in supporting the body of Christ. So mature churches will become more and more like Christ as each member uses his or her gifts for the good of the whole. You can just listen as I read 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And back in Romans 12, we see every member offering his or her life as a living sacrifice to God in verse 1, right? You, Paul beseeches us or encourages us or uh, appeals to us 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, always pursuing holiness by a transformed life. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And thus, each member of the body serves as a sacrifice for one another because we've all been transformed by the same gospel message. The varied gifts that we have are for the good of the whole body. So as Paul writes on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for all suffer together. If one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. See, God gifts us differently, but we're all united in a single body. And so we are to care for each other. We're to be involved in each other's life. We're to be a present force for good in each other's lives. As we use our gifts, we give ourselves as a sacrifice for the sake of others, just as Christ did on the cross. So this concept that our gifts are used to build up the church is so pervasive in the New Testament that some theologians teach this, that the spiritual gifts aren't so much about individual abilities given to individuals, but the spiritual gifts are ministries that function for the good of the whole church, and different people can fulfill these different ministries at different times and in different ways. And I think this fits perfectly with what Paul says before talking about the spiritual gifts in Romans 12, verse 3, right? What does Romans 12, 3 say? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but have a sober judgment, It's not all about you. It's not about your individual abilities. It's about you learning to serve the whole body. Whatever ministries you can do. Now, I don't mind saying that some of us have different types of gifts and different abilities, and God wants us to use these different abilities that we have, some more intrinsically than others, in church so long as we maintain that the biblical focus of the purpose of the gifts is very clear. They are for the good of the church body. Second question, number two, how should we categorize spiritual gifts? Question number two, how should we categorize spiritual gifts? I want you to turn to 1 Peter 4. In our kitchen, we have drawers underneath our counters that house different utensils. We have one drawer for eating utensils. We have another drawer for serving utensils. We have another drawer for cooking utensils. And then we also have a drawer for hot pads. I think those are utensils of some sort, maybe, for getting things out of the oven. But all right, so these are the drawers that we have in our kitchen. You guys probably have something very similar. Now, my wife has taught me well that each drawer has a category of utensils, and this helps us to keep things organized so that we can know where things are when we need to use the materials that we need. You know, companies do something similar with their workforce. They categorize their workforce. You might have the engineers, and then the management, and then you have sales, and then you have the facilities. And as God gave us 
list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, he also gives us a summary of the categories in 1 Peter 4, verse 11. Read with me, 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we all have these, this giftedness, but it's to serve each other, verse 11, and whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. See, the two broad categories are speaking gifts and serving gifts. And really, as you look out through all the New Testament lists of different gifts, there could be a, a third category, possibly, and this is the, the sign gifts or the miraculous sign gifts. But even the miraculous sign gifts, some are speaking and some are serving. And so those are our main two categories of gifts, speaking and serving gifts. And so as we look back at the list in Romans chapter 12, go and turn back there, we'll notice that three of the gifts are speaking gifts and four are serving gifts. Read along with me. Second half of verse six. Prophecy is a speaking gift. Service, naturally a serving gift. Teaching, a speaking gift. Exhorting, a speaking gift. Contributing a serving gift, leading a serving gift. Who does acts of mercy? A, a serving gift. I think it's helpful to think of the ways that we could serve our church family in one of these two broad categories of gifts, speaking and serving. But on occasion, some of you just aren't sure where your gifting lies, or you think of serving others in the church with a, a bit of a chuckle, and you think, you got to get your life together first before you can do anything else to help anybody else. So perhaps you might ask, question number three, do I even have gifts? Do I even have gifts? Well, the short answer is absolutely yes. Everyone has inherent gifts given to you by the Creator. You are an image bearer of God, and so God creates every single human being with different strengths, different weaknesses that potentially could be used in the church. I mean, just think about this. Are there not good leaders in the world? Are there not generous and even merciful people who do not believe in Jesus? Well, of course there are. And so we all have the potential, every human has the potential to use various gifts and abilities for the glory of God to build up his church. But on top of that, at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit permanently indwells every single believer and especially gifts us to function well in Jesus' body. Look at verse 4, Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. See, each of us, if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, we are said to be functioning members of Christ's body. If you function, that means you work, right? 
means you do something. Even if you feel immature, even if you feel like you, you can't, it means that if you're a part of Christ's body, if you're a Christian, it means you function. You have gifts to use. We're to actively use whatever abilities God gives us for the good of the church family. And he assumes, again, that we each have unique gifts in verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Again, there's grace that is given to each of us, and each of these gifts that are given to us are, are differing gifts. Ephesians 4, 7 puts it very clearly. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, each one of us has a gift. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, we read it already. Just as each one has received a gift. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, where Paul is clearly speaking of the varied gifts given to Christians for the good of the body, he says this, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. So clearly, if you are a Christian, every individual has received a spiritual gift specifically to function well in the context of your church. Now, you may be stretched thin or, or feel inadequate or, or broken, needing time to grow into your gifting, but, but think of your gift a bit like your muscles. What would happen if, after not going to the gym, you went and tried to bench press 200 pounds? Most of us would be like this. You know, like, you know, fall back on us, right? You don't get to bench press 200 pounds by just going to the gym one time. Can you go from walking one time a month to running a marathon without stopping? Anybody? No. So perhaps you feel, don't feel like using your gifts in your church family because your muscles are atrophied. But the solution isn't to wait until you're ready but to start to exercise, start serving, start encouraging your church family. Another question that often comes up, question number four, do I only have one primary gift? Do I only have one primary gift? Our short answer to that is no. I heard my former pastor speak of spiritual gifts like a palette of colors on the artist's board, and God expertly blends various colors together to be used in your life to build up his body. So as much as you might think you have one gift above all others, chances are God probably wants you to grow in different areas. You aren't monochromatic. So be willing to do lots of things. Push yourself. Similarly, you, you probably realize that what you might call your natural disposition, like things like being an introvert or an extrovert or being a leader or, or being a follower, these things are not exclusive traits with no blending whatsoever. And so we expect how God makes us as image bearers with natural inclinations to be part of how he plans to use us in his church. And so our gifting is not singular, uh, nor is it without respect to what some call your natural personalities. It's because who you are is a gift from God. 
So we read in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? Your mom and your dad didn't give it to you. God did. Nothing, of course, you get from yourself. It comes from God. So none of your abilities in that sense are natural abilities. They're all supernatural abilities. You don't just receive one special thing from God when you become a Christian. God often sanctifies what was already present before you became a Christian, which includes a variety of unique abilities. And sometimes God grows you in areas that you never could imagine so that you can serve him in your church exactly as the body needs you. Well, that brings up another related question I sometimes hear. Number five, can my gifts grow and change? Can my gifts grow and change? Well, if you've ever taken a personality test multiple times, you probably have learned two things. Number one, we're all blends of different character traits. God created us as complex creatures. We already talked about that. But second, you probably get different results depending on when you took the test. And part of that is simple. God created us with the capacity to change and grow. That's the great hope that we have in biblical counseling. As we have moments of, of intense need, we are, re- we are to realize that God's word is, according to Hebrews 4.12, living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and a marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The great blessing and promise of God is that he can fashion us into the image of Christ. That he has preserved his word to help us know how to worship, serve, and live a life for his glory and our ultimate satisfaction. In 1 Peter 1, God is pictured as a refiner who sanctifies us, weeding out the impurities that we have. So the goal is always to grow us into the image of Christ. So can your gifts grow and change? Absolutely, because you can grow and change. I mean, what does Romans 8, 29 say? Go back there, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see what God predestined us to do? What did he call us to do? What did he uh, elect us to do? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So as much as we are inclined to be better at certain things, as much as we have been given, quote unquote, natural abilities, it is absolutely true that your gifts can grow and change as you grow into the image of God, the son, because that is God's goal in your life, to help refine you and to grow you. So let's take the gift of of mercy, for example. Many young people are bent a little bit more towards justice and have a difficult time seeing the need for mercy when wronged. Many older people struggle with this as well. But the longer God works in us, often the more we are able to respond mercifully in difficult situations. And if you took a spiritual gift test and scored low on service, it doesn't mean that you don't need to serve others. Well, that gets us to our next question. Question number six. 
how do I discover my spiritual gifts? How do I discover my spiritual gifts? If you haven't figured it out by now, a spiritual gift inventory tests are not particularly helpful. It places all the focus on us and finding fulfillment in doing what we think we want or are somehow best equipped to do rather than on serving the body in the ways that are best for the body. Such an abstract way of, and I'm going to quote uh, Tom Schreiner as he speaks of pers uh, personal spiritual gift inventory tests. He says this, such an abstract way of discovering our gift is actually contrary to the spirit of the New Testament where we are summoned to give ourselves to other believers in the congregation. To put it another way, we will discover our gift when we pour ourselves into the lives of other believers, when we get involved in the life of the body. So, how can you figure out your spiritual giftings? By seeing a need in the body of Christ and filling it. I mean, maybe we need to back the car up just a second. This presupposes that if you are a Christian, you are engaged and a member, a part of a local church. The Bible knows no concept of a Christian who is not engaged and involved in a local church family. So once you are a part of a local church, you are to look around, love your church family, find out how you can help and encourage one another. And these things can be done on a Sunday morning to help facilitate corporate worship, but they can be done throughout the week as we live life together. So we are to love each other as we love our own body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 puts it like this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Look, we don't seek the showy spiritual gifts to get praise for ourselves. We don't seek to use our gifts in such a way that, that make us feel fulfilled in ourselves. No, the whole point is you are to use your gifts to serve the body. I mean, how did Paul begin Romans 12 again? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, think of yourself with sober judgment. So we discover our gifts when our eyes are off self. And we're looking around us and we see the needs in the body. And we say, you know, I think I can meet that need. Introverts, you can love people enough to talk to people who are different than you. And you could probably encourage them sometimes better than the extroverts. You can even exercise the gift of exhortation encouraging. What is it that we often see in the New Testament? When we realize we're weak, then who is strong? God. When we realize we need help, when we feel like we're inadequate for the task set before us, God strengthens us. At the right time, in the right way, God gifts you to help his body. Now, say what you will about President George W. Bush, but in his acceptance speech for his second term as president in 2004, he said this, do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. That's great. 
Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. So when you think selfishly of your gifts as if they are your abilities that you need to use in a way that best suits you, that makes you feel fulfilled, it's like praying for tasks that are equal to your powers. Instead, I think the biblical approach is very clear. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. You're not going to be president, but you are a member of Christ's body. You are designed and you are gifted specifically to love, care for, and serve your church family. So you can discover your gifts, not by looking within, but by looking without. Lean into exercising your gifts. Don't be a passive participant on a Sunday morning, the last to come, the first to leave. Switch those around. Come early. Talk to people. Leave late. You'll be okay. And start discovering your spiritual gifts. Now, at this point, we're ready to look at our full answer to our question we considered in the gift in the title uh, this, uh, in this, of the sermon. What are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? This comes from our catechism, question number 88. So the full answer is, Spiritual gifts are specific abilities given to the redeemed. They are given to Christians. We notice that they might be part of what naturally, quote-unquote, you are. But they are specific abilities given to the redeemed for the purpose of building up Christ's church, of spreading the gospel, and of ministering to one another. That's why we started by recognizing that spiritual gifts are all about your ability to minister to your church family. Since the church is central to God's plan to to work in this world, it shouldn't surprise us that who we are, our, our giftings, will be used by God to build up churches. Christians are not outposts. We aren't isolated family units who believe that a Jewish carpenter died for us and just are responsible to live within our own little group. Christians are committed followers of Christ who believe he died for us and live as a living sacrifice to build up his body. That should be abundantly clear. And where does Christ's body remain on this earth? You're looking at it. Your church family. Sure, we do plenty of things outside the church as a family and amongst unbelievers. Evangelism is a special gifting, but the goal of evangelism isn't to get people to say a prayer and repeat after you or to read the Bible on their own or maybe to read the Bible with a few friends when they can. The goal of evangelism is to build the church up and integrate people into the body of Christ. And so we see, right, spiritual gifts are the specific abilities given to the redeemed, given to all Christians for the purpose of building up the church, spreading the gospel, and ministering to one another. And so gifts are given. We are put together very specifically to minister to one another. And to discover your gifts, start by getting to know your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Love them enough to try to encourage them. Faithfully fill a need in children's ministry or help preserve the physical space that we meet in or simply make time and get on the phone and call a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe go have coffee. Mercifully serve each other when there's a need. Ask what the needs are. 
And as you feel inadequate, and we will feel inadequate at times, pray that God would increase your gifts to be equal with your tasks. Now, whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, inevitably someone will ask the question, are all the gifts in the New Testament still for us today? And behind that question is a realization that the New Testament speaks of some spiritual gifts that are more obviously miraculous, or might we call miraculous sign gifts. Gifts like healing and the ability to speak a language that you didn't previously know, otherwise known as tongues. Or even prophecy, speaking a word directly from God. See, some churches try to practice these miraculous gifts today. Uh, Others make these so important that they become central to everyday Christian experience for them. And so we need to ask a seventh question. Have any of the gifts ceased? Have any of the gifts ceased? Have any of the gifts gone away? Now, I watched some of the videos from the 90s Toronto blessing. You guys remember hearing about that? I watched some of those again this week, and let me tell you, it was crazy. In fact, I believe some of you may have gone to experience the crazy firsthand. There was hysterical laughing, gibberish repeated phrases, barking, running around, dancing in, in heel clicks, and me, uh, me, uh, meandering, and, and swaying, and, and all like they're about to fall over just like you're on drugs or something, right? And it was all done in the name of God, the Holy Spirit, pouring out on that assembly. But all you have to do is read the New Testament to realize God, the Holy Spirit, could not be behind events like that. It's clear. Just read the Bible. The gift of tongues is not gibberish, but it is a genuine miracle where unbelievers hear the gospel in their own language spoken by someone who didn't otherwise know that language. It'd be like me speaking French to an exclusive French speaker so I could explain the gospel to him and he understood it. That's what tongues is. It literally means languages. In fact, linguists have recorded tongues in churches, so-called tongues in churches, and they've tried to decipher only to conclude that this can't possibly be a language. There simply isn't enough variation in their tongue. Infamously, some have tried to teach people repeated phrases to help loosen the spirit's tongue and, and help the gift of tongues to come on individual. And I wish I were joking, but this is what I was told by a charismatic friend of mine to just repeat these words. She came in a Honda. I want to untie my bow tie. She came in a Honda. She came in a Honda. She came in a Honda. I want to untie my bow tie. And you repeat these words, and it's supposed to get you into a state where you can learn to let go and let the spirit kind of take over. And in the New Testament, if an apostle had the gift of healing or was able to do some other miracle, it was immediate and verifiable by everybody. See, plenty of responsible Christians recognize this, and while they agree that the Toronto blessing was a hoax or just a a way to fleece people for money, they still believe in the continuation of the sign gifts as they're rightly practiced according to the New Testament. And so we need to ask ourselves a question. Why do we not believe in the continuation of the sign gifts at our church? Why do we believe that we believe the miraculous sign gifts have 
ceased. All right, so I've got five reasons the miraculous sign gifts have ceased. You know, things like healing, speaking in tongues, and, and other miracles. First reason, a, bib- a biblical history shows us miracles verify revelation. Biblical history shows us that miracles are specifically designed to verify revelation. Have you ever stopped to consider when God did miracles in the Bible? Was there a lot of miracles during the life of King David? No. What about during the life of Abraham? A few times God spoke to him, and there's some dreams, but very little. No miracles seem to be concentrated um, during the life of some of the greatest people in biblical history. Instead, Miracles are concentrated in three time periods in the Bible, which happen to be the three main periods of biblical composition. First, the concentration of miracles is found in the life of Moses, right? Moses, he's one who has, was responsible for the plagues in Egypt, for parting the Red Sea, for the Mount Sinai. And what did Moses do? He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Miracles then are are sporadic during Joshua's life and even more rare during the 450 years of of the judges. They are rare during the life of David. So do you know now what is not happening during those times? Composition of Scripture. Scripture is not largely being written. It isn't until God transitions to the time of the prophets with Elijah and Elisha that we see another period of concentrated miracles. Elijah and Elisha, you read them in First and Second Kings and you realize, man, these guys did miracles left, right, constantly, right? Why? Well, that was the very time when God transitioned away from kind of working through kings and started to speak through the prophets. And what were the prophets responsible for? They were responsible for creating, collating the Psalms, the Proverbs. They were responsible for writing the big books of the histories, like 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. They were responsible for writing the books of the prophets. The prophets were responsible for writing the rest of the Old Testament. And so God wanted to verify their ministry of the revealed word of God through these miracles. But then there was silence as far as God's revelation is concerned, and very few miracles as the time of the prophets waned until we get to the New Testament. And the third concentration of miracles is found in the life of Christ and his apostles as they helped establish the church. And very importantly, what did the apostles do? They wrote the New Testament. You see, each of the three periods of biblical history or where we see a concentration, or where the Bible is composed, or where we see a concentration of miracles. They're always connected to God getting our attention so that we would respect his revealed word that is preserved and kept for us today. So first, the purpose for an intense period of God's miracle, miraculous work seems to be to point us to something more sure that Peter says, it's the written word of God, not the miracles, thing that is more sure that we have preserved for us is the word of God. Second reason I believe the sign gifts have ceased, number two, the sign gifts are called signs of an apostle. Ephesians 2.20, Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. 
Uh, you see, the church was, Ephesians 2.20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the gospel went out from the apostles, which was accompanied with Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, signs and wonders and various miracles. You see, the apostles were the 12 who were with Christ, along with Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, and all of them spent time with the risen Christ. And now that the foundation of the church has been laid and the New Testament has all been written and the canon is closed, meaning there's no more New Testament needing to be written, then we don't need apostles and therefore we don't need the signs that accompanied their ministries. A third reason the sign gifts have ceased, number three here, the sign gifts were fading in the New Testament. The sign gifts were already fading in the New Testament. We see that in one of the last books that Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.20. And this would make sense. If the apostolic office were meant to continue, then Paul would be all about appointing apostles. But what is he all about? Appointing elders and pastors and leaders and deacons and, and church leaders, right? He would have plenty to say about apostleship in Timothy and Titus, but he doesn't say anything. But not only are there no apostles, there's nothing mentioned about the signs of an apostle. I mean, just listen as I read the end of 2 Timothy 4, verse 20, some of the last words that Paul wrote. He says, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Look, if anybody had the gift of healing, it was Paul, and what did he do with Trophimus? Left him ill. Paul himself doesn't heal Trophimus. He tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach ailments. There, there's no appeal to find someone with the gift of healing to go help Trophimus, right? And so as the office of apostle faded, so too did the miracles. Fourth evidence for why sign gifts have ceased. Number four, sign gifts are conspicuously absent from church history. Sign gifts are conspicuously absent from church history. There's little to no evidence that the miraculous sign gifts continued at any point in church history. And in fact, when people seem to pretend to get direct revelations from God, it often spells trouble. It happened in Germany during the time of the Protestant Reformation in the, in the 1520s. There were some prophets from Zwickau, and they started to stir up all sorts of trouble, and they claimed to get revelations from God. They were both fantastical and really didn't jive with what scriptures said. So the men would stand up in front of people, their eyes would roll back in their heads, and they would claim to get a, a voice from God, and then they would give these visions to the people. Well, Martin Luther and the other Christian leaders quickly refuted them because all they had to do was point to the Bible that contradicted what they were saying. And there's been little to no verifiable proof that any Christian has consistently possessed the signs of an apostle, leading most Christians in church history to believe that they have ceased as a normative part of the Christian experience. And the current way that we see churches and Christians use these sign gifts, that started with the Azusa blessings in the 1900s, early 1900s. They're barely over 100 years old. Our last reason we believe that these miraculous sign gifts cease really answers a typical objection, and it goes something like this. The objection does. So it sounds then like you don't believe that God can do any miracles anymore. Is that what you're telling me? And to that we say this. 
God can still do any miracle at any time that he wants to do. Factor Statement of Faith says it like this. We believe that the sign gifts ceased with the apostolic period and no longer reside in individuals. However, we affirm that God can and still does miraculously intervene in the affairs of men in any way he should choose. So just because individuals don't possess the gifts of healing or tongues or direct prophetic revelations doesn't mean God can't do what he wants when he wants. I mean, I often pray for healing, and there are times when people I've known have unexpectedly been healed of some illness. And I thank God for that. I praise God for that. But I don't believe that that power somehow resides in me or any Christian for that matter. It's something that we ask God to do, and he can do it if he wills, which is a gift of sorts to serve others by praying fervently to God. So instead of looking to use a particularly impressive gift, God calls each of us to humbly, graciously get our eyes off of ourselves and trying to determine all the different nuances of our giftings and onto our church family. To think of ways that God might use us to encourage, to build each other up and strengthen this church through you. Now, we still didn't get to study the list of uh, gifts that Paul says in Romans 12, 6 through 8. And for that, we're going to have to get to that next week. Let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've been able to study a little bit more about what exactly are spiritual gifts. Just try and understand kind of what, what the whole of scriptures teach us about these spiritual gifts. Lord, help us to be faithful members of your body. Help us to be faithful, to look around and to find ways to serve one another. To graciously help those who are in need. To, with great long-suffering and mercy, respond when sinned against. Help us, Lord, to be those who lead with humility and kindness. Help us to be those who are faithful to serve at all times and in any way that you give us to serve. Thank you, Lord, for uniting us to Christ. Thank you, Lord, for creating us with different unique abilities. Lord, help us to be faithful, to pour ourselves as living sacrifices for your glory and the good of one another. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.